ho, ho. Merry Christmas. You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, author and journalist Melvin E. Edwards. He is definitely on the nice list this year. Happy holidays and welcome to this Christmas week edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies. I'm your host, Melvin E. Edwards, and I'm pleased to be joined on today's storytelling journey by Daniel DeBlanc, who is a composer, producer, instrumentalist, arranger, and music director, and is based in the Los Angeles area. He's literally a one-man band. Uh, Daniel, I'm honored to have you on the Real Life and Other Fantasies podcast. I know you're very busy this time of the year, so Merry Christmas, and thank you for joining us today. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thank you very much for having me, having me, Melvin. So Daniel performs musically as Bombay Beach Revival, and that's the music you will be hearing in today's Christmas episode. He is the reason we're able to enjoy country-fried soul Christmas music that's healthier than fried turkey and way more satisfying than figgy pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, you're a 20-year touring and studio guitarist, a multi-instrumentalist, and a composer for TV and film, and your work can currently be heard on Disney TV and Apple TV. So what does someone like that with your credentials ask for for Christmas? Well... In my newest song, I asked Santa for more guitars, even though I have a lot. (laughs) But, you know, and honestly, all I really want for Christmas this year is my kids to kind of appreciate giving and not, you know, not receiving and a little bit of a warmth and peace in a really crazy world. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great time of year to to make music and to share music. And I'm currently actually helping my kids school prepare their holiday concert and that's a lot of fun so that'll be a good gift for me is to hear kids sing uh i want a hippopotamus for christmas out of tune <laughs> it's gonna be great but well, you as a multi, as a as a music producer i'm sure their music program is going to be way above every other elementary school kid in in that area uh it'll, it may take some time but i think so i think so you know mentioned name your band is bombay beach revival so bombay beach is in california that's true. And i looked it up and it's like 200 feet below sea level 
Yes. And has about 200 residents currently. Yes. So what part of Bombay Beach are you trying to revive? Well, that's the thing. No part of Bombay Beach. <laughs> that, I think it's uh, that's why I picked it. It's a it's a it is a very strange place. Um, it is a it's a wasteland just past um, Indio, California, which essentially just past Palm Springs. So in the in the fifties, uh, utilizing some federal funds, a group in California flooded this place called the Salton Sea. If you look at a map of California, which most people don't do, there is a giant body of water just past Palm Springs. That's the Salton Sea. And so, like I said, in the 50s, they flooded it and made it huge. They surrounded it with Vegas-level resorts and brought in movie stars and, you know, celebrities and it was a huge deal. And the, you know, one of the shores was Bombay Beach. And within six years, the runoff from the Colorado River had failed. And the Salton Sea shrank and shrank. And all the resorts, all the things that were built, the, the, you know, the communities, they slowly just rusted and withered away. And so now it is kind of a symbol of, you know, overreaching big money opulence. And the people who stay there are very charming. They're characters. John Waters is kind of famous for loving the Salton Sea. And, you know, you can go out to the Salton Sea at any given time during the year and there'll be varying levels of, um, rotten tilapia because in the in the winter time the salt sea will fill up with with a with an environment that tilapia somehow can survive in and then it slowly dries out under the sun leaving just beaches and beaches of of fish bones and it is a is a spectacular spooky place some days it stinks because of the salt and um and we, uh, my wife, my friends, we spent a lot of time in Palm Springs and have for 20 years. Uh, it, it, there's like a magic out there. And the Salton Sea in Bombay Beach are kind of a strange place because despite the, the energy, the good energy that I think exists out there, there's this weird, rusty monument to poor planning and and like I said, you know, people who tried to do too much without doing enough research. So hmm. I, I just love the place, and that's my my homage to Salton Sea is, is Bombay Beach revival. Um, there you go. Also, BBR is also like a shout out to uh, my favorite, my hero, BB uh, King. You know, BB is Riley. Nice. BBR. So that's also right. a little that's thing. That's nice. I I like that. I like that a lot. All right. So you're a one man band. Have you I always do, been I, a one man band? I do band? play shows. Uh, you know, and when I do play, uh, I have some 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 revolving musicians. But one of our, my a dedicated performer live is my close close friend. Uh, Preston Scott Phillips, who is a Houston native, uh, nice. and and he he always plays with me. He's been in all my other bands for twenty years, and he's you know I I kind of had the courage to start making this 
you know, this music, which I call country fried, fried soul, because I could trust Preston as a as a person who understands where I'm coming for with with the this deeply honest music, and and he's a great player. So shout out to Preston. He's also a photo- street photographer here in LA. So if you check him out on Instagram, Preston Scott, he's got a takes cool pictures too. In, in addition I to being will amazing, have to check that out. And he's from Houston, and my. One of my grandfather, great grandfather's name was Preston. Yeah. So we got that connection too. All right. So uh, you mentioned BB King. So who are some of your other musical influences? Well, uh, I think musical influence, there's different stages. As a kid, you know, my dad, my dad played lots of Motown records. Um, so I I was I loved Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye, and then so growing up I had that. My mom was a you know kind of classic Beatles person, but she also had like she had a weird love for you know Carmen and some classical music. So there, as I got older, obviously you know I when I got I got a guitar because I saw like Jimi Hendrix on PBS. <laughs> um and so that was life changing and I, I think that his his music really spoke to me as kind of like a you know messed up suburb suburban kid. And then when I got my guitar, like the very first night I had it, you know, when you're when a kid gets a guitar, it, it it's almost like a teddy bear. You know, you carry it around, you don't know what to do with it, but you want to just hold it so close. And I remember that <laughs> the night I got it, it was I got it for Christmas and uh and bb king was on jay no on, on the tonight show so this was actually i was this is probably carson and uh and i i watched it and i was just like what there's something different you know loving hendrix hendrix is like such a it's such a bigger thing you know he's it's like he's putting on such a strange performance he's you know he's he's trying to be a freak. He's trying to be counterculture. He's trying to be doing all the stuff while also making very beautiful music. But then BB, when, you know, uh, he, he played, he played, he didn't play, um, like any of the big hits. I, I, I think he played over and over again, which is a sixties track. And, um, and I just it's it speaks to you in a very different level. I don't know. And I and then I secretly at that moment was like, I want to I don't want to sing like Jimi Hendrix. I want to, I want to sing <laughs> like Otis Redding and BB King. You know, and then I you know, started playing more, got a band, and strangely I took a six or seven year tangent as a purely classical guitarist. Um and then classical guitars kind of what brought me to LA and then as soon as I got here I knew I didn't want to I came out here to do advanced graduate work in classical music and I knew instantly when I kind of like when I got to LA I'm like well I got here so now I can quit all this nonsense and go join a band and and that's what I did and when I, and then in those first few years uh, I was out here I pro- I'd made a lot of like you know more modern progressive indie rock music because it was it was kind of pro- it was like academic like classical music but still guitar driven 
and I met my wife through that and it was a good time. But then after doing that for a lot of years and I had kids, I had, I had to kind of step back, you know, and, and, and I was going to be during the daytime, the primary caregiver. And that's when I started writing all of the stuff that can't became Bombay beach revival. It's the first mm, record okay. I put out is called another soul. And it's like a close up of my daughter's face. And I would, I love to sing to her. And I would, I just started writing these tunes. They, they started out very stacks ish. The first records very, I, I made it kind of like lo-fi and, and kind of grungy. And then the, the tracks have really progressed from there. And I use, I use BBR to just kind of filter my emotions in their purest, honest form, which is it's a mishmash of, of soul and of blues music, a hint of country. The, I have a track I put out this summer called It's Gonna Rain. And uh, I kind of made that for Preston. It's got trap beats on it. You know, it's got – he listens, he loves Houston, like – I should have worn my trill hat. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, he, so, and so that I, you know, it's all comes to, I just focus, you know, style and music you can focus to in different around the genre. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing, you know, and, and even to this day, like I still practice, I still like slow down BB King records and, and then I, Obviously, there's a bunch of other great players in that in that vein uh, that I kind of champion on Twitter, like Magic Sam and Otis Rush. Those are Chicago guys that um, mm-hmm. they really were the blueprint for European players to become millionaires. So I, those are a big influence uh, on me too. <laughs> yeah, I think I told you at some point on Twitter that <clears throat> excuse me that Fred I'm related again, by uh, Lightning Hopkins and. Um, Albert Collins. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you like the I was trying to scroll through my Twitter feed looking for that reference, and I, I couldn't find it because the website's just complete nonsense at this point. But <laughs> yes, I did the so same cool, thing with man. yours. Yeah, that and unfortunately, cool. I wasn't really into that kind of music, and I was young, so I wasn't really curious. So I, I just I missed the opportunity. Like um, Lightning Hopkins died when I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. And I didn't even know who he was until he died. Yeah. I, I heard my mom talking about, she calls him, called him Cousin Sam. And so she would talk about Cousin Sam. And then I heard other people talk about Lightning Hopkins. And it wasn't until he died that I was finally put the two together that it was the same person. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, he's and just a like, legend. Our, yeah, re- literally on the, on the news when they were doing his obit, he said... Um, Houston music legend Lightning Sam Hopkins passed away today and then the light bulb went oh that's the same person I didn't realize that yeah I've I've tried to catch up since then I mean Lightning a lot of those guys they they got they were they became popular with like this just giant population of human beings on this earth that had no access to them as personal living humans, unless it was at big concerts or festivals. And, you know, and also it's funny with, with, with blues and early rock and roll music with lightning Hopkins, just complete trailblazer deserves a, a crown of King of rock and roll ahead of a lot of other people. And they all just get like lumped into 
West Coast. They they a lot of these Texas guys get put with the West Coast uh, blues movement, which was kind of fast and up and jazzy, and because a lot of them toured between Texas and LA, and it's you know and it just it. I try to I try to share history and information on the internet about those type of players are just so good. Well, I definitely such appreciate a huge it because we don't, on we everybody. Don't, I mean, yeah, we don't want their legacy to die. It not it won't so, as long as as long as I'm alive. So I, I appreciate that. So I'm curious, writing songs you mentioned for your daughter and having a new song out, um, sort of as a tribute to your friend Preston. Have you ever heard a song any era and just think, man, I wish I'd written that song. So many. Um, I think that there, I think manic depression by Jimi Hendrix is that is to this day, it is just such a, you know, crazy song that uh, many people can just identify with you know he's just talking about how he's clinically depressed and he does it in this just bizarre 12-8 style like it's not like a rock song it's like it's he's it swings if he hadn't had mitch mitchell playing drums i'm not sure it would ever have worked that's a song i would have loved to have written uh i think like nothing compares to you by prince that Mm. is another song that is just so insanely good um and sitting on the dock of the bay by by Otis Redding is that song. You know, you could you can put that song on for a baby or a teenager or someone on their deathbed, and it's going to still like lift them up and kind of wow. evoke a a peacefulness that is hard to do. You know. Wow, that's pretty profound. All right, so quick quick break here. So uh, before we go any further, I'd like to thank all my listeners who have been tuning into this podcast on the Good Pods app. Good Pods is a podcast with good reads as to books. And you guys have been rating, reviewing, and listening so much that this podcast was number one on the social sciences top 100 for the month and number two in the personal journals category. So I want to take a moment to thank all my listeners and would appreciate if you would keep spreading the word. So thank you for all your, all you've done. I truly appreciate it. And I'd certainly notice it. Back to my questions for you, Daniel. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I met you on Twitter, and we chatted about baseball as much as we did about music. That's right. <laughs> you're out there in the you're out there in the L.A. area. So I'm wondering, 
how would you react if the Dodgers invited you to perform the national anthem at a game next year? And then oh, the, second part, of that, the second oh, part of the question is, would you perform the anthem like Whitney Houston did, Marvin Gaye, or Jimi Hendrix? <sighs> well... <laughs> That's hard. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, Whitney obviously may have got there also good. You know what? I could only honestly perform it as myself, which would, which would be, you know, if I, it's a tough, tough song to do live, but I would probably do something that is, in more of my style, like something a little bit slower, a little, but a little grittier, but still big. I've got, I can really belt it. So, yes, but I can, can. yeah, I would, I would love to do it like any of those people, but, but, uh, and with some of these, each of them were doing a different, I mean, I feel like Jimmy was, when he played the anthem, he was doing it for the sadness of America. You know, he interjected taps for all the young people that were dying in Vietnam. And uh, and then Whitney, I think that she had a she her performance had a joy of her own. Like just I feel there was a moment in her life where she was like, oh, yeah, I am. I am a good singer and this is powerful. And then with Marvin. Marvin Gaye, I think that when he was singing the national anthem, it was just kind of like, I don't know. I think Marvin Gaye was a bunch of, he was all those things. He was trying to, he was trying to be the soul of America. He was trying to be sexy. He was trying, but he was also, he also thought about everything. He had the weight, he had a heavy weight on his shoulders, you know? And, uh, so yeah, short story so, long. Sorry. <laughs> so that's okay. So the, the the short answer is you'd be Daniel. That's that's who you would be in the performing. Yeah, all, all, any musician, all you can be is yourself. You know, you spend you spend your life searching for your own voice. So, so have you, you ever thought? To, have hmm? you ever thought about doing the national anthem? Yeah, I I I made one. I made like kind of like a. I made one after Trump got elected. And I, I kind of tried to make it like stat, kind of like a, a Stax Motown vibe that was like still f- funky and soulful, but but had like an under undertone of you know political perspective. But I, I ended up writing a different song in the end uh, called "The Devil There Beside You," and uh, so I just didn't do the. I, and I feel like at the time, just like you know, everyone, my family was fighting. I didn't want to, I didn't want right. to just cross-reference anger. So I just All got right. down to what yeah, I really just, thought and just put that up. Yes. All right. So here's another question that I just recently started asking my guests, and I sort of tipped you a little bit that I would be asking it. I don't know why I didn't ask it from the very beginning of the show when I started in August, but maybe I'm just slow. So I'm asking it now. So. The name of the show is Real Life and Other Fantasies. So I'm asking you, what real life situation happened to you that seemed that would seem the most like a fantasy or make believe to somebody who didn't experience it? Oh, e- this was easy, hands down. Uh, it's December of 2011. Before I had kids, December was kind of quiet time. 
less shows, there's a lot less production going on. You know, the hustle kind of calms down. And I, on Facebook, I see a buddy who posts something like, Hey, does anybody, is anybody available for like a, a short tour, a weekend sub for, for a lister hit me up. So I hit him up and, um, he's a, he's like a, he's a monitor tech. So he, but he was on a tour. He, he said, he said, Hey, do you have a visa or, um, do you have a, um, passport? And I said, I don't, but I can get one in 48 hours. He's like, okay, get one and, and then call me back. So I go get a, I brush passport overnight, pay all this money. He's like, all right, uh, five, you're going to go on tour with Prince for five days. Whoa. It's the, he, that. he had to jump on a tour with Miley Cyrus and, um, and, and he, so, so he was like, they all trusted him as all good. So, so I get, get, get my stuff, get on a plane. They fly me to, they fly me to, uh, to Seattle, oh, to, I'm sorry, to Victoria, Canada. Um, and, and it was essentially it was the end of the tour. So, I I just had to like kind of hang out and if if there was one uh, prince at the time, you know God rest his soul, uh, he had essentially he had a, a keyboardist who was a piano player, uh, Cassandra, and then he had another his music director um, who played uh, you know electric piano, Wurlitzer organ synthesizers, kind of like an old school guy, and so they're like oh you know just hang out with Cassandra and if she needs anything, just help her out. So for five days, I just got to sit on the side of the stage and watch Prince rehearse, watch the shows. I'm a tall dude. So I ended up just like, you know, Prince plays shows after his big venues. So he, so in Victoria and then in Vancouver and then Seattle, after the show, uh, he would go to the club, and I'm super tall. I'm six foot five, um, and so like they're like, "Oh, can you just like?" They call him the man, right? They're like, "Can you just walk the man <laughs> from into the into the VIP area and then walk him?" And I'm no security guard. I'm not a tough guy. I'm just tall. I can just hold the flash. <laughs> but so anyway, the first night, you know. No one knew who I was, um, and I I get to the sh- I get to the venue, and I, we, we went right to the club in the middle of the night. So so we're sitting there, and I actually missed the show during the I missed the show earlier in the night. Uh, so I get there, and and the tour manager's like, "Oh, just go. You can just go stand on on the side of the stage." So I'm standing on the side of the stage. Prince's band is just jamming and it is like classic lineup um, of his touring band. And, and then all of a sudden this, this older guy's next to me and he's got like a SA 80 saxophone. And, and I'm like, Oh Moses, it's Macy O Parker, like from the JBs, like, like James Brown's, magical mm-hmm. saxophone player and 
and he walks on stage and starts playing with him. I did not know that Maceo was just on tour for this last few shows of the tour. And I'm sitting there, and they're just, I don't know, playing past the peas or something. They are just, it is funk to the core. It is just so insanely good. I'm just like, I can't believe this is real. I'm just shaking my head. And then I look to my right, much lower, because I am very tall. And there's and Prince is just sitting there watching Maceo Parker, just bopping his head with me. And, and I was like, this cannot be real and he he did like a fred armison thing like yes <laughs> that's Maceo <laughs> Parker, and he's that he's that good and then he just walked on stage and started bashing on a on an old uh electric piano and then picks up a guitar and then plays for three hours you know we we went back to we jumped on a on a tour bus and uh and then i did that for for three more nights and you know, each it was just magical. I, I saw him play the Purple Rain for the first time in like ten or fifteen years, and uh, and I just sat there and in terms of in terms of seeing a musician, I will I will never witness that again. I mean, just he was flawless. He was perfection and it was absolutely better than i could ever have imagined so that's inspiring incredible. that's incredible prince is one of my favorites I'm a, I'm a huge beatles fan you can see me wearing my beatles shirt <clears throat> and prince is a solid number two on my list after the beatles um, so i'm curious were you a prince fan before the show or did you oh, become yeah. a prince fan okay i was a prince i was I when I was a kid in the eighties, I was probably four or five when Purple Rain came out, and my brother played it. And you know, uh, especially that record, there's there's something kind of like haunting about it. I I absolutely loved it. I, and 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 then in the nineties, I was into the new power generation, all that jazz. And then I think as I became a better musician, I really appreciated. You don't realize when you're a kid. When I was younger, you didn't you didn't think of Prince as this as a you know funk and shredding guitar protege. And then you, as you get older, you you realize you see live bootlegs and see him, and he's just like. I think the first time I saw him was in 2001, and it was just like. He, it's insane. He's just so good. Absolutely just insanely good. Yeah, gone way too soon. Way too oh, soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, total accident, too. He just... Hmm. Total accident. Yeah, just way too bad. Okay, so I've only got a couple questions left. And throughout this episode, my audience gets the pleasure of enjoying your, your Christmas music. And then I'm, I'm going to close it with a, with a song that's not a Christmas song, but I'll get to that in just a moment. But I'm curious. This will be airing the week of Christmas. So, what are what's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, let's see. What's my favorite Christmas movie, or what's my favorite movie to watch on Christmas? Yeah, <laughs> I think you in terms of, it. you know, it's funny. I think I don't know why, but and it's a I know it's a controversial film for a lot of people. 
especially in the blues world, but I love watching the blues brothers on Christmas. Um, and I'm always watching with my dad. Like as soon as some rich uncle gave us a VCR and like the third thing my dad got his hold his hands on was the blues brothers. And, <laughs> and it was, I don't know why we just, we just always watched it on Christmas and, and now I watch it every Christmas and I, I know it's, I know it's hokey and weird and, and it's, it's problematic and, in some ways, but it does have life changing performances by some of these musicians for me to see Aretha Franklin and dance and sing with these Ray Charles in the music shop with that old Yamaha and, and, and obviously James Brown. And then the thing about Maxwell street, they sh- they show John Lee hooker on Maxwell street, which was like, that was where it all happened. And, uh, you know, I know, I know it's hokey for, for Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi to declare this into the blues brothers, but it, it was, it was, uh, it, that movie just like, I'm my dad has passed away. So I'm every year I watch it. I'm just like, you know, it's love. I love that that film, and yeah. and there'll always Aretha, be a connection Franklin's you have. Dead, huh? I said that'll always be a connection you have with him. With your yeah, dad. yeah, and you know, I have seen p- people have like I said, people have problems with. It, I get it, but Aretha Franklin, she said that she, if she had not done that film, that her there would never have been a career resurgence in the eighties. Like that made her. You know, mm. it, that was that came out in 1980. Disco was super huge. Um, you know, people, Motown records, it, you know, and, and Atlantic stuff that she did was it was not as, you know, wasn't as it wasn't it. She wasn't the industry that she should be at that point. So, uh you know, that movie is just, it is stupid, wow. but it is good, and <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've actually never seen it. I've never seen yeah. the Blues Brothers. You mentioned it came out in 1980, yeah. and that's, that's the year my dad passed away. And I was 13 years old at the time, so obviously that turned my whole world upside down. So entertainment was not high on my on my to-do list that summer. But I don't know why I haven't seen it in the subsequent years. Maybe I'll see it this year, just based on your recommendation. I'm now I'm really curious. You, yeah. I mean, it, listen, it is a, it is, it, it's an over to the top comedy. Uh, it is clearly, you know, driven Dan Aykroyd, who's a, a solid harmonica player and a and a blues historian, um, and spent a lot of his time in Chicago with a lot of those guys. You know, it really came from a good place, but it is it is a 1980 film with a star who is a you know drug addict out of control is wild movie, <laughs> and and it's actually the last it's the last of the or someone told me this might not be true but I was told that it was it's the last of the um, the old Hollywood. Uh, studio movies where mm-hmm. one studio made it and everyone who worked on it got royalties and it and after that after that movie that's when this the industry kind of splintered and like you know gaffers 
went to a different production company and then there was a distribution and all that jazz. It was, they say that's the last of those films. So. Okay. Well, when I asked that question, I never expected an answer like that. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I was thinking Elf or It's a Wonderful Life or Christmas Story. I didn't expect the Blues Brothers, but I appreciate that. I know. It's, it is a weird thing, but God, that movie was just, it, it's just, it's very, it's a very wild movie. You should watch it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it. It's on my list now. So I've got one last question for you. And so where can people find your music and how can they follow you on social media? Okay. On social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Twitter, obviously, I'm not sure how long it's going to last. I'm also on threads, but, you know, uh, I have a TikTok that I just kind of started. They're all Bombay Beach Revival. And then uh, for music, you can Spotify, Apple Music, every streaming service, YouTube. So there you go. And then, okay. and then, yeah, if you, uh, BBR tunes have been in a bunch of stuff like Empire and, and movies. And, and then, uh, nice. I played, I've, I've done some stuff on some, like I said, Disney plus show. And, and then there's a show coming out on Apple TV called bad monkey. And I'm, there's a bunch of me playing them. That's a it's a it's a, a detective show starring Vince Vaughn. Okay. So. okay, so I will also include the links, your links, in the show notes. Cool. When the show comes out just before Christmas. Daniel, I appreciate your time today. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And just to remind you, Daniel is known musically as Bombay Beach Revival. So you can look for his music anywhere, and including on the show notes. You can find the links there. Thank you for joining us for today's storytelling journey. Before we go, I, I just want to, again, thank you for sharing the music with us so that we can play it during this episode and that people can enjoy it and, and probably be introduced to it for the first time. And I'm sure they will become fans as soon as they hear your music you're extremely talented thanks man all right so let's close this episode with daniel's newest song that was just released this month it's called trouble and i will dedicate it to everyone who will be getting coal for christmas this year because they've been causing trouble to people in their lives in 2023 (laughs) merry christmas and thank you for sharing your music with us merry christmas Enjoy this awesome song and consider it the best gift you're going to receive this year, because it is, even if you're also getting cold. Here's Trouble by Bombay Beach Revival. I'm a man with a restless soul, troubles my campaign. 
that was another edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.